0: You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. So let's get started with the opening prayer. And then we'll have a discussion about the uh, class today, and then we'll do the sit
1: as well. All right. So let's bring the hands together. Ooh. One day, Guru Nam, Sharanara Vinde.
0: Sandarashita swatmasukhava bodhi. Nishreyase samsara halahala moha shantye samsara
1: halahala moha shantye
0: avahu purushakaram Shanka purushakaram shankachakra sidarinam shankachakra sidarinam sahasra shirasam shwetam sahasra shirasam shwetam pranama mi patanjalin
1: pranama mi So we have done
0: the, um, feel welcome to relax your posture. We're going to be in a seated position for a little while. So, and as we sit now, please feel welcome to relax your posture. Okay. Um, Where does meditation fit into the Ashtanga yoga lineage? This is kind of the first question that we're going to be taking a look at today. And as you already know from the eight limbs of the Ashtanga method, that meditation is included, dharana, dhyana, samadhi, in what is considered to be the more subtle limbs of the practice. So when we look at the Ashtanga path, we have the four limbs, uh, which you already know about in the beginning, that deal with very tangible, very um, kind of uh, tactile things that we can do or not do in the world, whether it's asanas, whether it's breathing, whether it's how we act in the world towards ourselves, how we act in the world towards others. Then we've moved into the more subtle limbs, beginning with pratyahara, and then dharana dhyana and samadhi, which is that idea of the redirection of the organs, the objects of the senses, to so the inner experience, and then developing the faculty of concentration, dharana, and then dhyana, which is normally translated as meditation, and then samadhi, which is normally translated as you know bliss or absorption. The idea being that when you have a sustained, unbroken period of concentration. We have set up the ideal scenario for you to slip into, for consciousness to slip into its most true state, and its and its least blocked state. We could say, right? Um, now, the interesting thing about the Ashtanga Yoga path is that when we practice these asanas, we have a very clear path laid out from uh, the, you know the, our teachers and those who come before us. We have these asanas. We have these series of asanas. We have the asana technique. And then, there in a more kind of exclusive and kind of uh, you know uh, mysterious path, we also have pranayama. We have a breathing technique, and we have a very defined breathing technique. And this can be, you know, some people have been taught it directly from Patabi Joyce. And then there have been some updates made to that with his grandson, Sharad Joyce. And then now we understand that this technique starts off very much in this physical. But Tabi Joyce said, take asana for many years, asana, asana, asana for many years, before not only pranayama, before meditation, and also before complex philosophical questioning about the spiritual journey. And this, I think, primarily has to do, honestly, with the Western students, because our pedagogical framework or our, our, the way that we interact with knowledge in the Western world is from the uh, operational standpoint of critical thinking. So does everyone understand what I mean by critical thinking? It's questioning and deconstructing and the idea of um, a sort of rational thought and our ability to question and uh, logically and rationally sort of deconstruct things and present an alternative and question. So this paradigm of sort of critical thinking, while very, very useful, we're not saying not to critically think about things, is um, sometimes can get in the way of the experience of yoga. And some examples of critical thinking, we come into the practice, start to uh, easily form dogmas when they're not, when the answers to the questions phrased as critical thinking are presented as absolutes. A classic example of that is you should hold your toe in triangle pose. So when this is presented as kind of an absolute and this absolute becomes a dogma that's not rooted in experience, then we we see that critical thinking has taken us to what is a spiritual dead end. Because in the reality is there are millions of people, billions of people on the planet and not everybody should be holding their toe, you know, uh, Maybe ever. Maybe some people don't even have a toe to hold. And what do you do with them? You know, you have to give them an artificial toe just so they can fit into the dogma. Um, That's unfortunate. So, when we have this idea that um, rational and critical thinking can lead to a logical dead end, then we have to insert something that supersedes logic, and that is uh, experience. So this is where Patabi Joyce said, you take asana, asana, asana many years. Or he would say, otherwise, you're just thinking. And after some years, he would invite some certain students to practice pranayama. And I've learned the pranayama with him. Um, and so have many other students, you know. Uh, and so there's a very distinct and definitive path about the Ashtanga Yoga Pranayama. Now, uh, ask asked Joyce about meditation. Oh, what do you think? Am I ready for meditation? You meditate? The first thing he said to me was. You sit in Padmasana, in lotus position, one hour? I think no, right? So this was his first thing he said. Because the idea, and this is one of the myths that is kind of told about the purpose of asana. So if we have asana, does anybody know what the translation of asana is? Do you know what asana? How do we translate that directly? Now now we think poses. But there's a, 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 a translation that precedes poses. Or a seat right? So we we have this idea of of, of, what are some qualities of a seat? What do you think? Comfortable, right? We need to be comfortable in our bodies. And a seat is something that we seem to be able to take for a period of time. So the original asana was sort of a seat to perform activities, what types of activities, spiritual activities, a seat to perform meditation, a seat to perform purification, a seat to uh, be able that, that you're comfortable in your body enough to hold for a long and sustained period of time. And kind of like the myth of asanas is that the purpose of all of these asanas, bending this way, bending that way, is to make the body fit for that comfortable seat. And that if you're uncomfortable in a seated position, there's no way that you can do pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, or attain samadhi. Look if the pain from sitting sitting in a posture is so overwhelming, what are you going to think about the whole time you're there? Only the pain, only the pain, only the pain, unless you're very, very, very strong in qualities of mind related to the yogic and spiritual path. So of course it's possible to transcend pain, but very few people will sit through the pain long enough to transcend the pain. The average person without a foundation in asana who begins to take long sitting practice will be overwhelmed by the pain. Um, And what sorts of pain are we talking about? What do we think? What happens if you have never, say you've never stretched a day in your life, and then you start to sit do seated meditation for one hour every day? What sorts of pains can you imagine would arrive? What do you think? You have back pain for sure. What else? Hip pain, knee pain, feet will fall asleep. And as a result of all of that, the neck will probably tense up and the jaw will tense up and you just sit there miserable for an hour. And you get up and that's beneficial for some people, honestly. You know, some people, it's a good idea. They can sit there with their misery for one hour and then move on. It can make the world a better place. Um, but the average person will not come back for that. So the idea and this sort of like myth of asana is that we're doing all of these complex asanas to prepare the body to be able to take a comfortable seated position for one hour without changing your posture. Right. And so that's kind of the, the, the the bad part. So I could sit there. Sure. Just give me this little cushion and I sit there, but to sit and not change the posture for one hour. So this is kind of the, the, the benchmark of a really strong meditation practice. Um, probably it takes many years or many lifetimes even to get there. So we're not going to force that, but the idea to understand is that, um, once you make a foundation in asana, it has to be a bridge to the more subtle practices. Uh, pranayama itself is a bridge to the meditative mind as well. So, if you're practicing pranayama, sometimes meditation directly after can be very beneficial. Um, sometimes meditation before can also be beneficial. So, there. Once we get into the realms of of, of practice, the, the, the sort of the way that the practices interact. Um, it is a worthy sort of like worthy path of investigation, but you don't necessarily have to follow a rigid program like for in, in your actual daily practice. It doesn't have to be first asana, then pranayama, then meditation, or first meditation, then pranayama, then asana. It could be a mix. You could meditate, take asana, then do pranayama, or you could do pranayama, asana, and then meditate way later in the day. But what you don't want to do is make a mix within one practice So you don't want to do some asanas, stop, do some pranayamas, take a little meditation, go back and start doing some asanas again, and then think, let me meditate a little bit now. And then, you know what? I want to do pranayama again. Then you will make yourself completely imbalanced, you know, and there are some practices that move through these things. But if you're practicing ashtanga yoga within this method, this is not the way to practice the method. Make sense? So you can take the order how you like, but don't make, you know, um, a stew, out of the techniques all right we want to keep them in their distinct little categories like a bento box all right it's a better uh technique okay so um i have to say that my teacher patapi joyce never said he never taught me a meditation technique but at some moment he said you want to sit there go ahead all right so this was the most technical instruction i ever got from my teacher and many people ask um strategy if they can meditate Oh, can I also meditate? He says, you want to sit there? Go ahead. It won't harm you, you know? And meditation is the only practice that Sharaji says you should do on moon days. Because people say, I want a moon day. I want to do this. I want to do that. He usually says, you should try to take rest. The moon day, some crazy energy is there. Don't do pranayama. Don't do intense pranayama on the moon day. Definitely don't do some moon day asanas. Um, He says, you want to go for a walk? Go for a light walk. Don't do a crazy hike on the full moon. Don't do these things. Just relax. And then, and it's well, can I do anything? Sure. You want to take meditation? Just sit there. That won't harm you. Well, at the very least, we're not harming ourselves, which again, we start off with Ahimsa, We're at least not harming ourselves by sitting there. So I have researched and reached out for other techniques of meditation because I have tried to do what my teacher said. Just sit there. It will not harm you. And I have found out that when I just sit there with no technique, what happens for me or what happens for me? Because now I have a technique that I work with is that I'm just thinking, 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 thinking. I don't know if you have ever tried to wait in a line for something, but the mind is not naturally very quiet. So if you don't do anything, what happens? are thinking, 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 thinking. And then now we have a great tool to avoid thinking, thinking, thinking. What is that tool called? Your phone. At the moment of boredom, let me see. Let me look on Instagram and see what Labrador retrievers are doing right now. Let me, oh, they're not doing anything. Let me find out if some other creature is doing something interesting. Look, it's a creature in a handstand. That's interesting. Let me watch that for a little bit, you know. And if not that, there's always some random article in the New York Times you can absorb yourself in, whatever newspaper is pleasurable for you to read. So there's this distraction device that we carry around with us at all times. And this distraction device makes it almost impossible for us to sit with our thoughts. However, near, more than 20 years ago, when I was in India I asked Patabi Joyce about, should I just sit there? And he said, sure. I didn't, was before the iPhone existed. So there was no distraction device. At this point, the internet had not yet reached the city of Mysore. Or it had reached with the old-fashioned dial-up connection. I don't know if anyone is old enough to remember that. Um, these sounds that used to come out of uh, computers when they would hook up. Now, if I hear that, it's almost like you, it's, it's it's like Morse code, you know, it's not really Internet. Um, but I remember that was really the only Internet that was available. And so I was, again, Morse code for sending out these help signals to the world, um, telling my parents I was alive. So there was no real distraction devices. So I sat there. I reached without moving maybe 40, 45 minutes, um, but my mind did not really settle. It was going here and going there and going here and going there. So I asked for Joyce again. I'm sitting now, and then he laughed at me. And before I said anything, he said, "You sitting? <laughs> you thinking?" <laughs> he just laughed at me and said, "You thinking?" And then he went on to say everything I was thinking about. You thinking your country, your home, your food, your family, your body, your thoughts, your thinking, thinking, thinking. And I was like, "Yes, it's true. In fact, I have thought of all of those things." You know after some time in a country that's not where you is your home country you do start to think of the food that you miss and this is true of anyone who travels to a country that is that even if they love that new country at some moment we think hmm there is some food item that i miss very much and then you go in search of this food item and some stores that seem to carry the flag of your origin country and you know, and you find some version of it that is somewhat dissatisfying, but also satisfying. You know, so um, you know, uh, he was right about that. And I had been also maybe in India at this point, like maybe five months. So I think five, six months is start you start to feel like mm, maybe it could be nice to have something, something special. And uh, anyhow, after that, though, I realized I I need some technique. And so I said, you know, can I learn meditation? He just kept saying, you sit there, no problem. Okay. So he's not going to teach me the technique. So all the technique of meditation that I practice comes from the Vipassana tradition, which is a traditional Buddhist meditation. And I've sat some, like, uh, I've learned a technique in what's called the 10-day retreats. And you take these 10-day courses. Has anybody taken a 10-day course? Would you just raise your hand? Awesome. Super. So the 10-day courses are really the way to learn the the really deeper application of the technique. What we'll be learning is uh, the universal technique of what has been translated into English as mindfulness. So uh, we're going to go in depth over the technique in a later discussion. But for now, what you need to know about the technique is that this is a universal technique that even though it comes from the tradition of the Buddha, is available to be practiced by anybody of any religion or no religion. You can believe in God or not believe in God, doesn't matter, because it is a a technique of self-observation. And we take the most neutral universal object to rest your awareness on or the most neutral and universal anchor to make your mind quite firm. And this is the anchor of the breath. It also translates very well into your yoga practice, And the anchor of the breath is called anapana, which means inflowing, outgoing breath awareness. We could say anapana is inflowing and outgoing. And we pay attention to the inflowing breath as inflowing breath. And we pay attention to the outflowing breath as outflowing breath. And we give our mind a small area to focus on because when the mind has a smaller area to focus on, then the mind is less distracted. If the mind has a big area to focus on, then there's more possibility for distraction. So, in the beginning, we have to be very precise. So, uh, this is, technique is traditionally called anapana sati. sati is the Pali word for mindfulness or awareness. And uh, this is the uh, similar word in Sanskrit as smrti. And smrti is usually translated into English as memory, but sati is normally translated into English as mindfulness. But both have the same um, linguistic or etymological root, which means that it has the quality of the mind being able to retain or stay present to not lose its focus on a particular object. And memory is the ability to retain, right? So to remember something means that we are able to not forget it, we have retained it. And mindfulness has that same quality of being able to retain a singular focus on that point of attention. So we have this idea of sati, losing a lot of depth when we translate it only as mindfulness or awareness. You know, mindfulness starts to bring up all sorts of kind of contemporary popular culture images of, you know, mindfulness training or mindfulness for stress reduction and these sorts of things. What we have to understand is within the context of our spiritual practice, all of these kind of positive health benefits, which we will again go into deeper at a later date, are merely byproducts of the effort to train the mind to a single point of attention. We are practicing dharana, dhyana, with the effort to lay the foundation for the experience of samadhi. Along the way, definitely, we remove stress. Along the way, definitely, the body feels better. Along the way, definitely, there are a lot of health benefits that will start to accrue, but this shall not be the goal of the spiritual practitioner. And this is where the importation or the importing of the practice of mindfulness to the application only of stress reduction and health benefit sort of betrays its deeper intention. We're not meant to be mindful just so that we can be more healthy and reduce our cholesterol rates. The idea on the spiritual practice is that the mindfulness lays the foundation, like it builds the architecture of spiritual liberation. So what I mean by that is, what is the architecture of something? So take this building. The architecture of this building is, is the framework for all of us to be here and do the practice. But this building cannot force you all to come in. Understand? You have to come in of your own agency and volition. And the mindfulness asana practice, mindfulness practice, pranayama practice is the architecture of samadhi. But you cannot force samadhi to come in. If we're building up the architecture of our practices with the intention of just getting healthy, we can invite health in. Wonderful. Health has come. But... If we do not invite Samadhi to come in, maybe by happenstance, Samadhi will come in. Sure. that's a you know one in a billion or one in hundred billion, one in a trillion, maybe. But when we build the architecture for a particular purpose, it's more likely that that experience happens. And this is, again, something important to understand. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do today. Uh, the practice of Anapanasati is to bring your attention with two parts awareness and equanimity. You become aware, and this is where we're going to unpack mindfulness a little bit. To be aware means you are aware of what is without any story or judgment about what is happening. We have to practice this state. It shouldn't be already evident within you unless you're already practicing understand? Let me give you an example. You are aware of the inflowing breath. What are some qualities of the breath that you could become aware of? Could someone tell me some qualities? What do you think? You're breathing in. What do you notice? Hmm? Temperature. The breath is warm. The breath is cool. So then you notice I'm breathing in. Then you notice the breath is cool, right? Well, how do you respond normally to that? What do you think? Do you like it or do you not like it? What do you think? The breath is cool. Do you like it do you not like it? (laughs) Sometimes, yeah, it could be nice. Hot summer day, breath is cool. Wonderful, right? So then suddenly we have this experience. The breath is cool. Objectively, it is neither good nor bad. But the mind starts categorizing. Oh, maybe this is good. Oh, maybe this is bad. Um, Oh, something is, I know what's going on. My meditation timer overzealous um so the mind starts to categorize this is good this is bad now let's take another scenario give me another quality of the breath something else what else could you notice when you bring your attention to it the length of the breath oh my breath is deep oh look what do you think when you notice that what do you think hmm Some judgment, but what judgment would it be? You,
1: like
0: so what do you think? So now, so now you have a story about energy going up and then you have a story. You're not sure if it's good or bad, but it should be something. Um, as yoga practitioners, what do we normally associate with a deep breath? Oh, this is good. Most yoga practitioners, if you haven't been practicing long enough, right? Uh, will usually associate a deep breath with good. And in fact, the yoga practitioner who observes themselves breathing in a short, shallow manner will do what? Take a deep breath because, oh, this is bad. So we start to see that now there is reality and there is the story that we tell about reality and awareness aims to remove the story. So now we observe the breath is deep, period. It is objectively neither good nor bad. We observe the breath is deep. The breath is long and deep. If the breath is shallow, we also observe the breath is shallow, period. If your mind starts questioning and going into judgment, that is okay. That is the normal pattern of the mind. You should not be not having that now. But you are meant to observe also this. Let me give you an example. The breath is short and cool. Suddenly you realize the breath is short and very cold. The breath is short and cold, short and cold. Then your mind starts to think, this is bad. The breath is cool. This indicates life is leaving. Maybe I am dying. The breath is shortening. I am definitely on the way out. I should do something. This is very bad. I must immediately take action. So now we have the mind going bonkers over here. But all that's happened is you're breathing a short, cool breath. Look, the room may be cool and suddenly the breath is cool. Look, the breath may be short because you're not doing vigorous asanas, so there's no reason to take a deep breath. Or because the mind is very, very quiet. Sometimes when the mind is very, very quiet, the breath gets very short. Cool, barely there. But you cannot experience that. If your mind immediately says, oh, this is bad, let me take action and breathe vigorously and deeply to save my life, you know? So awareness includes equanimity. And so we're practicing remaining equanimous. Equanimous, some, some synonyms for equanimity are neutrality, objectivity, um, not being disturbed by, um, unbothered, right? Undisturbed. Uh, and so we have the idea of equal balance or equal, balanced or balanced, and then we have this idea that if we can remain equanimous, sort of emotional detachment is another way to think about that. Not that the emotions are not present, but we detach a little bit from them. If we can do that, if we can have awareness and equanimity, what do these two qualities lead towards?
1: What do you think? Hmm. We could be right. Definitely. What else? What do you think?
0: So let me phrase it to you in another way. Um, When the breath is cool and the breath is short and you have a mini panic attack about maybe dying, are you seeing reality clearly in that moment? What do you think? No. So the thoughts obscure reality. And this is the essential premise we have in yoga as well, right? So the jungle of the mind that gets obscured, that obscures our, 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 our clarity along the path. Then we have the idea that this jungle of the mind creates a web that uh, makes it impossible for us to see reality clearly. So when we have awareness and equanimity, what does this allow us? And then what? And then what? What? We can see clearly. So we normally say awareness and equanimity, if practiced properly, leads to wisdom, intelligence, clarity. We can finally see reality clearly. So we observe. The cool breath is merely the cool breath. And you also have to trust that awareness and equanimity leading to wisdom would also tell you if you needed to take action. So let me give you an example of this. I have done on my first meditation retreat something that did not lead to wisdom because I was not practicing awareness and equanimity. On my very first meditation retreat, I have been followed the technique, observe all that you feel, remain emotionally detached, practice equanimity and observe. Awareness and equanimity, wonderful. I have done my first meditation retreat in uh, uh, in Nepal, in some of the foothills of the Himalayas, and it was cold. I did not realize that it would be cold. I thought, summer, yoo hoo. Even that summer, it was late May, early June, first of all, which was not exactly the short summer that Nepal has, but it was definitely not winter. There was no snow, but I'm from here. And I had spent like six months in South India, and it had only gotten hotter and hotter and hotter. So I've left South India in late May, which is one of the hottest months of the year. And then I have gone to Nepal which is a very cold place. And then I have gone up in altitude. And then I have sat there with no clothes because I came from South India with a lot of shawls and uh, (laughs) some thin cotton clothes. And then I have observed cooling sensations, cooling sensations. The breath is cool. I'm observing. The breath is cool going in. The breath seems to also be cool going out. Now my body is also cool. I have shivering sensations. I have done nothing but observe. I'm shivering. Shivering, I have so much equanimity. They told me you must remain equanimous. I remain equanimous. I'm a good student. I don't tell anyone, I don't say anything. I just sh- notice now I'm freezing, freezing, freezing. Even in the night, I'm cold. I can't sleep. I have no blankets. I have one shawl like this, I've wrapped around myself. Uh, and I don't sleep. And then three on the third day, then no, on the second day, then I cannot breathe any longer out of my nose because now I have a cold. So I don't say anything to anyone. Now observe the breath is neither going in nor going out. And I observe, there is no breath. I have to breathe out of my mouth. So uh, my mouth and breathing, the nose is blocked. So I'm just observing, nose is blocked. I am cold, cold sensations, cooling sensations, nose is blocked. Then the teacher calls us up for the uh, question to check us out, see how we're doing. First thing she says to me, how is your equanimity? I feel very equanimous, so equanimous. It's very easy for me to just, and she stops me, immediately stop. What is going on? You have a cold. I don't know if I have a cold. I'm merely observing that the breath can no longer go in. And the and she shakes her head and does something like this and puts her hands over her face and says, do you have any other warm clothes? What you're wearing doesn't seem very warm. No, I have merely observed that I am shivering, shivering, shivering. And again, she shakes her head and says, We will get you a jacket and we will get you, do you have blankets for the bed? I have not read the instructions that said you need to bring your blankets, so I have not brought any blankets. I said, no, I have no blankets. We will also get you some blankets, uh, some warm blankets, and now you will also have a thermo with the hot lemon water that you have to get refilled regularly. And at this moment, I have felt extremely stupid. I felt, this is very dumb. Awareness and equanimity has led to a cold. So I have not applied the technique properly. So the technique when applied properly should lead to wisdom, intelligent action. So if you observe, I'm freezing, 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 and it's not for 20 minutes. You have to take action. You have to buy a heater, get a blanket, get a jacket, talk to somebody. If also you're taking meditation and you have a heart condition and suddenly you feel a sharp stabbing sensation in your chest, don't try to wait it out. Otherwise you're going to cross over to the other side and meditate yourself into the afterlife. So if you have a sharp stabbing sensation and you have a heart condition, immediately open the eyes, go up to the teacher. I have not need to call 911, call the emergency services. It's not like we meditate ourselves into oblivion. It should lead to wisdom. And that's very important to remember. Understand? But it's hard for the mind to know what wisdom is until you can remove the story of your reaction to what is. So today we're only going to be practicing Anapanasati. This is the beginning. We'll practice Anapanasati with the idea that we're trying to lay the foundation of our practice to one day have equal parts awareness and equanimity that will build the path to wisdom. And within wisdom is the firm foundation for the spiritual practice. Or within wisdom, we also have uh, the the sort of appearance um, of samadhi as well. Okay? So we've been sitting for some time just here so are you happy with uh what you've gotten do you want to have any other bolsters or blankets uh, now is the time <laughs> to make a run or objects everyone is back okay as we sit if you have any questions that arise save them for the end we'll have some time for questions if you have any unclarity about the technique Again, you save those for the end, make a note. After we finish sitting, we will stretch out the legs. So whatever pains in the feet falling asleep, they're going to wake back up. Okay, I'm going to set a timer. So at least I am aware of the time.
1: Let's make those last final movements as you settle on the posture. mm <clears> mm <throat> After the body settles, bring your attention to your breath as we
0: begin the practice of Anapanasati. First, you may be aware of the general sensation of the inflowing breath
1: and the outgoing breath. I am breathing in as I breathe in. I am breathing out as I breathe out. The general sense of the breath is the beginning
0: of the deeper levels of Anapanasati. So observe wherever the breath makes contact with your body. Observe
1: the quality of the breath as it is. <clears throat> then to help the mind... Find a more specific focal point. Bring your attention inside the nostrils, around the nose, at the entrance of the nose, and in the area around the upper lip. And look for the touch of the breath on this small area of attention. The touch of the breath inside the nostrils,
0: at the entrance of the nose, and in the area around the upper lip. Cultivate awareness, pure awareness, bare awareness, near. Awareness that is awareness stripped of any value judgments,
1: awareness as it is. Remain equanimous, objective. Neutral,
0: as you bring your attention and keep your attention focused in this small triangular area, inside the nostrils, along the nose, at the entrance of the nose, and in the area
1: around the upper lip. look for the touch of the breath the sensation that the inflowing
0: breath makes as it grazes over this small area of the body the outgoing breath and the residual sensations that accompany the breath as
1: it moves out Notice the exact point of contact in this
0: small area of the body that the inflowing breath seems to make. Then notice the exact point of contact that the outgoing breath seems to make.
1: Naturally, there is some contact between inhalation, and exhalation. Allow your mind to become present to
0: more qualities of the breath. Notice the temperature. Whether the breath is warm or cool
1: or to somewhere in between. Notice whether the temperature changes from moment to moment
0: or perhaps from inflowing breath to outgoing breath as the sensation of one cooler or warmer than the other. Perceive reality clearly.
1: Let your awareness be paired with equanimity. There are numerous qualities of the breath. As many breaths
0: in, as many breaths out, there is no limit to the qualities that may become apparent to you as you focus
1: in on the breath as your anchor of awareness. Inflowing
0: breath as inflowing breath, appearing with all these various qualities. Outgoing breath is outgoing breath.
1: Also appearing with these various qualities. In, as you breathe in, out, as you breathe out. What other qualities seem to appear
0: in that field of awareness? Notice the depth of your breath, whether the breath seems deep, shallow, or somewhere in between. Separate the awareness of reality with the old habit pattern of the story that is told about reality, what you could call the reaction to the stimulus, the reaction to what is. Nearly become aware of what is. And when the old habit pattern of the mind arises, oh, this is good, oh, this is bad. Observe that quality of the mind which is judgmental rooted in the old habit pattern of the past, projecting into the future based on the foundation of what has been. Recognize that this cycle perpetuates itself in a cycle of suffering. And then choose to see reality clearly, objectively, separate reality from the story that is told about it in the mind. If the inflowing and the outgoing breath are short and shallow, let them be merely short and shallow. If the inflowing breath and the outgoing breath are deep and resonant, then let them be deep and resonant without assigning any meaning, without telling a story, without letting your experience of reality be colored
1: by what has already been the past.
0: The temperature, the depth, these are merely two qualities of the breath. What other qualities are present when you tune in? Perhaps you notice that the breath carries a weightiness. Perhaps the breath feels very heavy. Or on the other hand, perhaps the breath feels very light.
1: Or somewhere in between. In addition to the weight of the breath,
0: perhaps there is a level of stress. The breath may feel stressed, labored, arduous, even blocked. Or the breath may feel light, free, and easy. Or somewhere in between. Sometimes free, sometimes blocked. Or neither free, but neither blocked. But somewhere in between. There is the ever-present temptation to judge which seems to have an inertia of its own, almost happening automatically, so quick the mind is to judge based on the past, based on preconceived notions of what is good, what is bad. So practice awareness and equanimity. Reality as it is. Not reaction. To reality. To practice awareness and equanimity is to be free, free from craving, clinging, free from the willful fight between what is and what we would like it to be. What is merely is. To observe in a state of pure
1: awareness, is to observe the true nature of reality, to make peace with that reality.
0: To observe the same reality while holding tightly to the dream of what we would like it to be, what it has once been, what we would prefer it to be. That tightness restricts our ability to be free. So each time you choose awareness and equanimity, we choose the path of freedom. Freedom from the old habit pattern of the mind. Freedom from the chains of the past, the weight of the past. Awareness and equanimity. Awareness and equanimity. There are numerous qualities of the breath that may filter into your awareness temperature,
1: depth, weight, level of ease. The breath may also be
0: dry and arid, moist and
1: humid, or somewhere in between. The breath may be very rhythmic and steady,
0: or the breath may be erratic and unpredictable, or somewhere in between. There may be various tingly sensations when the inflowing breath makes contact with the skin of the upper lip, the entrance of the nostrils, or somewhere in the nose. There may also be tingly or prickly sensations that occur within this small area of attention
1: when the outgoing breath makes contact. The qualities and sensations of the breath may also change.
0: Moment by moment, a different arising and passing. Sometimes deep, sometimes shallow. Sometimes warm, sometimes cool.
1: Sometimes hot and heavy. Sometimes light, free and cool. You may notice that the placement
0: of the breath changes sometimes, sometimes here, sometimes there, sometimes producing a prickly sensation, other times producing some other type of sensation, some things which may be hard to describe, which elude the tangible basis in language let your awareness take in these types of sensations as well. Not every quality of the breath can be named. In fact, sometimes the discursive type of awareness
1: is itself an obstacle to pure awareness. So when there are sensations that seem impossible to describe.
0: Do not bother trying to describe them. Instead, remain with pure awareness, mere awareness, fair awareness, where what is simply is. And be very vigilant not to get attached to what feels qualified as good. Be very vigilant not to resist what is qualified as bad. These qualifications are merely rooted
1: in the old habit pattern of the mind. Keep your entire attention
0: focused inside the nostrils at the entrance of the nose.
1: And in the area around the upper lip, naturally, the state of focus,
0: the effort of concentration, the dharana may not yet be able to sustain unbroken awareness on the breath. So you may notice that the mind gets distracted, suddenly thinking of other thoughts. Whenever you notice that the mind has gotten distracted, this too is merely the old habit pattern of the mind, the thinking mind, darting here, darting there, thinking of this, thinking of that, one thing after another, with such rapidity that the thoughts seem to carry their own inertia. Lost in a stream of thought, perception of reality becomes impossible occluded by the very thoughts which seem to elicit yet more craving, more clinging, more attachment, more aversion, more suffering, suffering, suffering. To break free from the web of thoughts, simply redirect the mind's point of attention to the anchor of the breath. As you continue to work, the mind calms down. As you continue to work, the mind calms down. You cannot calm the mind. However, through the technique of dharana focus on a single point of attention, the mind naturally calms down. By replacing the object of awareness, what is normally focused into the external world, thinking of this, thinking of that, reaction to this, reaction to that, the mind focuses in on a very small area of attention inside the nostrils, at the entrance of the nose, and in the area around the upper lip. By focusing in on this small area of attention, we redirect the power of the
1: senses to the inner world. Perceive. The breath as it moves in, the
0: breath as it moves out. This small, humble task harnesses the full power of the mind and redirects
1: like a laser beam to this singular point of focus. Each time the mind gets distracted, do
0: not add any more value judgments to what is already a distracted state. Merely observe. The mind has
1: gone away. And then return to the breath. Come back, back to the breath. Inside the nostrils
0: at the entrance of the nose and in the area
1: around the upper lip. Breath as breath, reality as it is. Pure awareness and equanimity. As we maintain the same posture
0: for an extended period of time, there is some discomfort that will naturally arise. The feet may have fallen asleep. Observe with awareness and equanimity that the feet have fallen asleep. Recognize there is no danger of permanent damage and then Choose to observe the quality of the sensations as well as your habituated reaction to those sensations, pleasurable or displeasurable, and then return to the breath. Make no effort to avoid or suppress the sensation which seems displeasurable. Observe what is. return to the breath. If there are any other burning sensations, discomfort in the hips, the knees, pain in the back, the shoulders, the neck, temperature in the body which is not to your liking, too warm, too cool, burning here, burning there, or anything else that may arise within the body, A kick from within that seems to say, get up now. An itchy sensation, scratchy sensation, tickly sensation. Anything that seems to distract your attention when you
1: observe the quality of the breath. Bring your attention back. Notice whatever is,
0: whether it is itchy, burning, sleeping. Observe the mind's reaction pattern, the story that is told. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is bad. If there are pleasurable sensations in the body, the body feels so light, so blissful. Recognize that this too is a temptation to attach. Pain arises for some period of time and then goes. Pleasure arises for some period of
1: time and then goes. All is changing. The only constant is awareness
0: and equanimity. Sooner or later, that pain which seems so urgent will dissipate. Sooner or later, that bliss which seems so overwhelming will fade. What remains is awareness and equanimity, the vast open field of the mind, like a container that holds all experiences equally, neutrally, objectively, like the sky which holds all types of clouds without preferring one or the other, sometimes big, sometimes small, sometimes none at all. The sky yet remains vast, neutral, the mind, the sky-like nature of the mind, is revealed through the practice of awareness and equanimity. Do perceive reality clearly, yata bhuta, as it is, not as you would have it be, not as you would prefer it to be, not as it once was, not as we dream in the future for it to be, but as it
1: is. This is freedom. So continue. Each
0: time the mind gets distracted, return to the breath. Each time a physical sensation arises, body as body, mind as mind, breath as breath return your attention to the humble anchor of Anapanasati. And begin once more inside the nostrils at the entrance of the nose and in the area around the upper lip.
1: Observe the breath as it moves in. Observe the breath as it moves out. After some time of practice, once you
0: observe the qualities of the breath, perhaps, it will become possible to stay with the sensation of the breath for the entire length of inhalation until the breath turns around and becomes exhalation. And then it may become possible for the mind to stay present with the breath for the entire length of exhalation until the breath turns around and begins yet another cycle, to stay, to be attentive towards,
1: to remain, to not slip away from that quality of mind which is sati, mindful, present. And aware, All the effort that we make each time you call the
0: mind back, this is dharana, concentration. With unbroken concentration, we lay the foundation
1: for the meditative mind, awareness and equanimity which build the
0: architecture of the house of our spiritual liberation. So continue to work and lay the foundation properly with diligence,
1: with determination, and with patience and kindness in equal measure. No matter how many times your mind
0: wanders, no matter how intense the physical sensations may be, the technique remains the same. Observe that the mind has wandered. Return to the breath. Observe the quality of these physical sensations in the body. Return
1: to the breath. Cultivate awareness and equanimity. Practice
0: attenuating or weakening the old habit pattern of the mind
1: and arrive to the field of presence. Let the anchor of the mind be tethered to the breath. Each moment spent focusing in on the
0: breath is one more moment spent on the path of your own liberation. Each effort that you make to redirect the mind's point of focus lays the foundation for the experience of the deeper states of awakening.
1: As we lay the foundation for the work, we understand that this is not an immediate result. We commit
0: to continuing to work day in and day out, over and over again. For today, we have laid the foundation well. So allow yourself a long and conscious deep breath in.
1: As you exhale, soften your posture lightly. As you breathe in again, as you exhale, open the eyes. And you're welcome to extend the legs or shift your posture. If you are in a lot of pain, you're welcome to lie down for a moment. Good Well, did you survive? <laughs> Maybe barely..
0: <laughs> The defeat survived. So, so they're waking back up now. Yeah, good. So, we have sat for uh, quite a long time. We have been sitting for 45 minutes. And we'll talk more uh, in a later date about why that's important. Um, But uh, also, we have not done the asana practice this morning. So, this was a good um, foundation. Uh, to go deeply into the meditation technique. Sometimes intensive asana actually gets in the way of a deep meditation because the
1: body's all sore from putting the leg behind the head or trying to put the leg behind the head.
0: So now after today, you will each have a homework assignment every day for the remainder of the course. You have to sit for minimum five minutes every day. Starting from today. You have already done today. So starting from tomorrow, you have to do it on your own. You can do it in your your room or where you're staying. First thing in the morning, last thing in the night. Uh, We do not have space really to do it here unless you want to do it in the small room. You're welcome to use the small room to sit. If you come early for practice, for example, and you want to sit in the small room, you're welcome to do that. I think after practice in the small room may be a little noisy, but you can try. That room is there, okay? So, how did it go? What questions about the technique or what questions do you have that came up during the sit? <clears throat>
1: that
0: was a good question. So. In the 10-day courses uh, in the Vipassana tradition, they ask you not to take any other exercise, not to do any asanas. I've spoken with them about this. And they said, number one, it's not that asanas are incompatible with the Vipassana. They just don't have a space for you to do them privately. So, and for someone not doing yoga, asanas look very exciting. So if you're in the meditation course, many people join the courses that don't do asanas. And they suffer a lot, (laughs) you know, so I can really recommend to do some asanas. Uh, But uh, there are many people that join the courses, even elderly people uh, join the courses and they're sitting on a chair. So what they said is if suddenly you as the yoga practitioner are making some sun salutations or downward dog, this looks very exotic for the person that doesn't practice. And then it can be distracting for the other meditators. So for the benefit of the group, refrain from intensive exercise. Also, push-ups and, you know, Pilates and bar work or anything like that that could be distracting for someone else. Refrain from that. However, they said, look, you have a private room. If you keep the schedule of the Vipassana in your break times, if you want to make some stretching, do push-ups, whatever, you do it as long as it's not disrupting your meditation. So I make some stretching during those break times. But uh, uh, even I do some, uh, what, what feels good for the body and what supports the body, this I'm doing for sure. If I have the private room, I have also been in somewhere I didn't have the private room and then I'm doing nothing. You know, that's not true. Once I went in the bathroom stall and I locked myself in and I made some stretches in the bathroom. But uh, but I, I, it's very important not to distract the other students. Uh, and this is very important. You know, when you go in the course, it's a little bit like you join the monastery. You remove all jewelry, They ask you to not wear shirts with words written on them or clothing with words. Why? Because the other people read your shirt and they sit there. I mean, and also they ask you not to read or write during the time. So then we try not to be distracting for the other people. So it's the same concept. So I keep that. But little stretching here and there, this can really support the the practice. Some light asanas, even some light stretching here or there can support the meditation journey as well. You know, but the schedule is so um, intense, so that the idea of also doing the full ashtanga practice is maybe too much.
1: Where can you fit it in? You know, they already deprive you of sleep during these courses, so you know.
0: It's also nice to take a mandatory ten-day break from the asana practice. The body really heals during that time, which is so cool too. So, I find that very, very, very beneficial. Good. How about how did it go for someone that was difficult? How did it go? What was going on for those of you that felt it was difficult? Pain? Did anybody have pain? Yeah. What kind of pain?
1: Your legs, yeah. They fell asleep. Burning. Yeah. I totally hear you.
0: Yeah, do you have a pre-existing like injury in the back or is it just kind of a persistent back pain thing?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With that, I get it.
0: So for you, because you have this pre-existing uh, existing pain that's sort of persistent in your life, there's two things. Number one, we wanna make sure you're as comfortable as possible. So for you, because you have this existing pain that's already overwhelming you in life circumstance, we really need to make sure that you are as comfortable as possible. So for you, you could take some back support. You could lean against the wall. You could take more bolsters and make sure that you have the, the sacrum supported in a way that's good for the back. And so, this is super important for you because you have this existing life pain that then can be overwhelming and distracting in the meditation. We want to make the meditation seat as comfortable as possible so that that pain is not overwhelming. Number one. Number two, this is also an opportunity to change your reaction to that. And it's very difficult, very, very difficult. Um, And you want to be kind to yourself. So, you want to find we try to say not to move, but again, because you have this existing life pain that you're carrying into the meditation, you want to find maybe five different postures that instead of trying to search for a better posture, you do something like this. You sit for a little while, posture number one. The pain comes. You try to remain equanimous with with it for a little bit. When it starts to get overwhelming, you can't remain equanimous any longer. Change to posture number two. But don't, go here and there and here and there and here and there and here and there. Make sense? So like posture, say posture number one is like this. Posture number two is like this. Posture number three, maybe you change and elevate the hips and sit like this. So you have like this one, this one, this one, this one. And then you give yourself a little period within each one to touch that pain. And when your equanimity goes away, you change. And maybe after this, you take lying down and then you start the cycle over again. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? So when you're doing the five-minute sit on your own, you'll be fine. I'm pretty sure five minutes you can, you can take. But even there, if it's overwhelming, within the five minutes, allow yourself one posture change. Make sense? When we do the longer sits together, remember that, what I'm telling you right now. And then number one, find the comfortable posture, but make an estimation of five postures and then change from one to another like this. And if you need to start the cycle over again, start the cycle over again. This can really help because instead of looking for something, we go from here to there and we know it's going to be bad. And then when it's bad, we change. And we, when the posture begins to be a distraction for us to practice equanimity, then it's, then it's too, too intense. Then we need the, the patience and the kindness part of it. Yeah. This is very normal for people to experience to experience this, especially when we have a pre-existing, pre-existing pain. Sometimes, however, you have no pre-existing pain, and then pain suddenly arises during meditation. Did anybody have that? Suddenly a pain arose. Some pain you have never experienced before. Suddenly it arrives in meditation. and you me think, what I've done. Just I'm sitting there. How can I injure myself? But you're not injured. <laughs> so, so this, don't be alarmed if this happens. It will go away. Now, whatever, if you experience that, now it's gone. So this is interesting to observe. These pains that arise from deep in the mind, you have no pain. Suddenly you sit, the body is in so much pain. You don't have some pre-existing reason. And then you open your eyes. Just you open the eyes. You know it's over. The pain is gone. This is not a real pain. Okay, this is a fictitious pain, created by the mind, to make you not meditate. Okay, you have some pre-existing pain that exists. It's something else. You know, if you have the you know something in the body, it's it's different. But that type of pain, which is so ephemeral, you close the eyes, it's overwhelming. You open the eyes, gone. Sleepiness can be like this too. Was anybody sleepy? Some sleepy students. Yes. So the sleepy sensations are usually said to be some various sources. And I'll review this again, when we go deeper into the the sit, um, the the sitting week that we do together. Um, Sleepiness can be tiredness. Maybe you're tired, you had a long flight, you have some dead lag, you came from a different time zone, maybe you're tired. the Only solution to actual sleepiness is to sleep. You cannot meditate your way out of sleepiness. There is no weird thing that says, now you meditate, you don't need sleep anymore. This is ridiculous. Sometimes I meet somebody that says, I, I don't sleep anymore. I think you have problems, you know? No, I'm in permanent samadhi. I mean, definitely, I mean, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm sure there is some spiritual being out there that no longer needs sleep. But if you have a person randomly walking around, going in and out of Starbucks, and then they tell you they don't sleep, I'm maybe think Starbucks is a problem. Too much coffee, you know? <laughs> then maybe they can sleep again. So... If you have a lot of tiredness, you have to sleep. So get a good night's sleep. You can even abort the meditation and take a nap. This is okay. I've tried to conquer sleepiness with meditation. It doesn't work. Talk to the teachers about it. Also doesn't work. If you're sleepy, you have no choice. You have to sleep. Even if it means you miss something, you have to cancel some homework to sleep, you need to sleep. Take the day off and sleep. When we have one day off each week, spend the whole day in bed in a cocoon. Don't leave the bed, right? Then the next morning, maybe you eat some food or go to the bathroom and leave the bed. Okay. But um, get really rested and then start again. Now, second option of sleepiness is what they call, is what's often called unconsciousness. And unconscious, unconsciousness, some obstacle that's in the mind, some habit pattern of the mind that's so strong. But we're not yet ready, our conscious mind is not yet ready to face that obstacle, produces sleepiness. We would rather sleep than face that horrible truth. Have you ever gotten really sleepy in the face of some life difficulty? Suddenly you become tired. It's so tiring. Timmy hates stuff with the bank. Suddenly I say, we have to go to Citibank. He immediately, I I'm feel so tired. I, I don't think I can go. I have to lie down. I'm like, you can go. You were just talking about motorcycles with all this enthusiasm. Then I say Citibank, and he's ready to go nearly into a comatose state. So, you know, we all have these things which are really tiring. You talked to me about Home Depot. We had to go to Home Depot the other day, and I have the same response. Home Depot. Oh, no. Please don't bring me to Home Depot. Anywhere but Home Depot, even IKEA. I'll go there first. Please let me walk around IKEA before Home Depot. I really don't, I went, but I stayed in the car. It's like, I'll go, I'll stay in the car. I don't want to enter the, the facility. I'll, just, I'll, fall, I'll fall unconscious. Just when I walk in the door of Home Depot. I, <laughs> so here's the bank. I don't mind going to the bank. He can go to Home Depot. So we all have these obstacles that come up that bring up sleepiness. This is called, usually referred to as unconscious energy or unconsciousness of some type. Third quality that comes with sleepiness is a weak mind. And the weakness of the mind is that the mind is not trained in meditation yet. So that when the mind experiences thoughtlessness, no thoughts. The mind has already built an association with thoughtlessness the moment before we fall asleep at night. So it becomes a habituated response, thoughtlessness, sleepy time. And then we find ourselves, we wake ourselves back up. How do you know that it's not just a pure life sleepiness? If it's pure life sleepiness, you're gonna get up from your meditation. You're still gonna be tired. You're gonna be you're gonna be tired the rest of the day. If it's one of the other two, the moment the meditation is over, you're filled with energy. But then you sit again, and then you're just there snoring. So if you so it's one of the other two. If the, when you finish your meditation and you go into your life, you have lots of energy. If you finish your meditation, you go into your life and you're still super sleepy. You probably need to rest. That makes sense. Figure out if that's coming up for you, which one it is. If you sit first thing in the morning, last thing in the night, sleepiness is a big battle to fight with, real sleepiness, because you just woke up. But the mind is very clear because it's sleepy. Last thing in the night, hopefully you're getting ready for bed. So that sleepiness is actually in your favor. So we're falling asleep. Great. Go to bed. Just five minutes. Even if you start to snore, it's okay. Okay. Any other practical questions?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think that the uh, problem is with the lying down? Correct. So they say that um, the, the, like lying down and practicing the technique is reserved for when you're in excruciating pain from one thing or another. So but we always try to sit. So for example, if you're if you're if you're if sitting is a discipline for you and you say I'm going to sit for 20 minutes every day. That's my thing. I'm going to do that. That's what I'm taking on. It's so a discipline. 20 minutes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to add that into my sadhana. But you have so much pain. Maybe you have some injury, a knee injury, maybe a neck injury, something like that. So you sit just for 2 minutes and you're overwhelmed with the pain. Then, as the instruction that I gave Christina, that you're going to go around and you can include lying down in that. But you try not to lie down for the full duration because the mind can easily sleep. So then, say, within 20 minutes, we could spend even 10 minutes lying down, but we must also try to sit. Why? Because we're trying to cultivate this precision quality of the mind. And it's traditionally said for a whole bunch of reasons, which are, um, I'll go into a few of them now, we, we want, we're not going to reach our deepest meditation state lying down. Number one, we need some elements of difficulty and we need some elements of pain so that we can transcend. And if it's too comfortable, we'll never begin to transcend. Well, because we'll never face that pain. Now, again, if the pain is already so overwhelming, so existing, then we can lie down and we may still be in pain lying down. So then that's something else. If you're in pain when you're lying down, um, you may not even sleep. So first, some pain, some difficulty must be present in order to cultivate this precision quality of the mind. Number two, in terms of, and this is talked about less in the Vipassana tradition and more in the yogic tradition, in terms of sitting, when the spine is straight, then the subtle flow of energy is optimized. And when we're lying down, then it's not that it's not, opt- it's, it's less optimal and more geared towards relaxation. And this is good as well, but what are, what are we creating the architecture for? So it's the idea that we're sitting for spiritual awakening. We're sitting for liberation of the mind. Is relaxation beneficial? Yes, absolutely. Do that too. However, figure out what the discipline is about and if we're on that ashtanga yoga path towards samadhi then the effort that we make towards sitting is going to be our sort of best hope at uh, aligning our energy channels along the center line because we're we can then ride the gravitational axis of the body we can then kind of take the elevator up and down the center line Um, whereas when we're lying down then that orientation changes a little bit and the the energetic axis of the body changes a little bit so that instead of even our connection to the earth changes a little bit when we lie down and we go kind of into release mode um, in multiple ways, which I'm not going to get into right now. Um, But when we're seated, there's a sense of um, balance between the upward rising and the downward flowing energy that's more naturally in place. And it's that kind of, sort of bookends to the upward flowing and the downward flowing energy that allows us to circulate within the center line, opening up our minds to the potential of realization. So this is where this essentially will reach our deepest states of spiritual awakening in the seated position. It's no, um, you know, no coincidence that all of the statues of all of the deities, like so many deities are presented in some seated meditation pose, one meditation pose after another. Every figure of the Buddha is in the seated meditation pose, you know? Also, this was his liberation. So, um, yeah, we tried to sit. If, uh, really, the relaxation is also good, but when we crystallize it into the sitting, that's when we can reach the most refined state of mind.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: Only some months of practice, see? There's a hope for everyone that uh, said it was difficult. <laughs> okay. I have another question for everyone and good work of it. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you kept practicing after the course. So this is two things about that. So as, you know, as Tim mentioned yesterday, this is, this is your opportunity to practice, make good use of the time. The teaching is only as effective as you're going to make it. So you take it. You do with it what you will. But you want to get something out of it? Give to it as much as you can. Right? Um, Now, we're teaching you lots of techniques. Some may really sit well with you. Others, you may decide, this is not for me. But decide that after the course. So maybe sitting for you, it's not for you. It's okay. But do it at least until the end of the course. Then make your decision. Then you have some basis. So if you hated this time, it's only five minutes from now until the end of the course. We have a, some other times where we sit together. It's only five minutes. You can take anything for five minutes a day, right? Five minutes you can be in a line. Five minutes you can be in traffic. All sorts of things are miserable for five minutes. We can tolerate this. Then make your decision at the end. Maybe the pranayama is miserable for you. You hate the breathing. You know, so terrible to breathe for one hour. Ugh. You know, who knows? Do it for the course. And then at the end of the course, make the decision. Similarly with like technical instructions we give you in the asana practice, do it for the course, make some decision after, okay, this was good for me. It's not not good for me. Make sense? Okay. Now on those lines, I have a question for you. How many people think that this was more difficult than asana? What do you think? More difficult than asana? (laughs) It's funny. Almost everyone think more difficult than asana, so you have to choose meditation for five hours, <laughs> or try to make leg behind the head five hours. <laughs> if you're like, put the leg behind the head. I'm gonna go for that one. I'm gonna sit there because then I get to jump back and then I do upward dog, downward dog, jump this.
1: Side, wee,
0: wee, I'm gonna be tired, but I'm gonna be stronger. I Maybe mean, my hip will open. It'll be great meditation for five hours, I would die. I will die. I will actually expire during those five hours. It cannot make you think about it. It's funny, um, you know, and it's considered harder. This is why Patabi Joyce, we remember from the beginnings, if you take asana, 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 asana for a long time, then we take meditation. Make
1: sense?
0: Right. Are you stretching or you have a question? Okay, you can stretch, it's fine. <laughs> I see the hand up, I have to ask. Yeah, so many people find asana easier. Mm. Even though it's hard, right? Because it's, it's entertaining. You're going here, you're going there, you're doing that, you're doing this. Even if you fail at asana, it's somewhat entertaining. If you fail at meditation, first of all, you cannot fail at meditation, but if you, you sit there and if you're just thinking, 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 it's like you feel bonkers. In there, and you think you failed, but here's something really interesting about meditation every sitting, even for five minutes, even in those five minutes, if all you were aware of was physical pain, mind is distracted, I can't feel my breath, even if that's all you were aware of for those five minutes, that's five minutes of awareness. You were aware of what is, and that helps. So, it's said that every sitting. Should help you feel a little bit more connected into awareness and equanimity. Awareness and equanimity. And then eventually, the idea is that we take that into the life circumstance so that we retrain how we react to difficulty. So imagine if instead of reacting to some difficult circumstance, we could remain aware and equanimous and wait for the path of wisdom, intelligent action. To show itself. Right. This would be cool. This could change you know, how we are in the world, and this is why we work. Right. It takes a long time to experience the results. So now you have the homework. Everyone understand five minutes? How are you going to do five minutes? You can set some timer on your phone with an agreeable sound at the end. Please make sure it has an agreeable sound at the end. Do not use the same alarm that wakes you up in the morning. That is not an agreeable sound. I like a, I like, a, let's say like a ding, like a gong sound, you can have a bell sound, whatever you want. Just make some agreeable neutral sound so that if you were in a nice place and you wanted to continue, you could start again. But five minutes minimum, okay? Those of you that haven't established sitting practice, you're welcome to sit however long you normally do, as long as it's more than five minutes. If you sit and you have a different meditation technique that you do, like you do japa recitation or mantra recitation or something like that, do that, but also do the five minutes of anapanasati. So now you have to do more. Okay,
1: good. Any last questions? i doing focusing doing everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the nature
0: of mind. So what asanas do is they slow down the mind. Without the asana and the breathing technique, we are only working with what is called the most subtle of the anchors of awareness. The mind is slippery going here, going there, going here, going there. In, in the Ashtanga practice, we have three points to focus on. So we have this tripod that comes in, and then we're, and, and it's a directive. Do this, 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 do this. So the mind is it's easier to focus. This is why asana comes first. So the fact that you experience that explains why asana comes first. But you are not doing anything wrong in the meditation. This is correct to observe. Look, my mind is gone. I'm going voo, voo, voo. Even, it's amazing, and maybe many of you experience this, when I'm talking, you can somehow tolerate the technique, right? Somehow I'm talking. Okay, she's saying, I for the breath, and the breath, the breath is hot, or it's hot, cool, it's annoying, but okay, she's talking, oh, what'd she say? Oh, I'm, okay, I have to go in, I'm going in, I'm going out. So, then I stop talking. Oh, no. <laughs> What shall I do now? I, it's very quiet. There are sounds. Oh look, the tennis thing is going tuk, 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 Oh, have they lost the ball? Oh, oh, what will they do with the ball? Oh, I need to focus on the breath. Oh, where's my breath? Oh, oh, I am cold. It's very cold. I didn't think it would be so cold. Oh, and then visit, we're going around. All this stuff, you know, we're here, we're there, here, we're there. Uh, I think I'm going to sneeze. I better not sneeze. We're not allowed to sneeze. No sneezing. Don't sneeze. Don't sneeze, no matter what you do, you don't sneeze. You don't sneeze. Don't don't sneeze. Okay, it's gone. Okay. Oh, they found the ball. Wonderful. You know, so you know what I mean. This is totally normal. What we call this? The nature of mind. What do we call the mind? What's the classic example of the mind in traditional uh, Eastern philosophical thought? What do we call the mind? You know, monkey. Oh, we're the monkey. You have met your mind. Wonderful. To meet the mind, to know the nature of mind is the first step in training the mind. Make friends with the monkey. Okay, hey, this is my monkey. Look, I'm here, I'm there, I'm here, I'm there. I go there and there. I'm over here. I've gone everywhere. And then suddenly you hear, bring your attention back to the, ooh. Oh, I have to go back to the breath. Now the monkey gets in line. The monkey is trained, right? Okay, then you turn away. You don't look at the monkey for a moment. It's just the nature of mind. This is the work. It's to work with that. And this is why meditation is harder than asana. Because we're working with something that doesn't have a tactile base. There is no place where mind exists. Mind is nothing. And because mind is nothing, if we do not slow it down and give it a task that is meaty and has multiple points, it's slippery and hard to train. So what you're feeling is exactly what you should feel. You're not doing anything wrong. You have merely observed the true nature of mind. Now we make friends with the monkey. Now we train the monkey. After some time, our goal, and this is like a testament to, I've accomplished something in meditation. Can I keep my mind focused on the breath for one minute? This is considered an accomplishment, right? This testifies to how difficult meditation is. With asana, is like, what's the goal? You know, like we do whole primary series. And this is like, you know, something like that. It's like a testament. You stay in the asana for five breaths, right? Meditation, just one minute out of one hour. Then we think, okay, this is an accomplishment. 60 seconds is nothing. You know, so in that way, you've experienced just the nature of mind. We just keep working, keep working, keep working. And this is why it's hard. This is why Patabi Joy said, take asana first for many years. But I believe, anyhow, now you're here, this is an advanced course. If you're ready to take on some of this more subtle work, and this goes back into asana. What do you experience with the nature of mind and meditation improves the quality of your concentration in asana. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. look every single one of you has experienced samadhi already you know uh because uh we have all experienced that. What is samadhi? It's not a place we go to and never come back from. It's a state of universal connection to the the grand oneness of what is. And every single one of us, we've experienced that. Maybe fleeting glimpse here or there. Maybe during practice. Maybe during life through the grace of God. You know, but we've all experienced that. So whether in meditation, whether or whether in uh, some other time. You know, in the in the presence of someone. Whose, whose light is strong, we can experience a momentary glimpse of the eternal. Maybe also in very, very difficult moments of our life, in, period, in periods of great loss, we can also tap into something which is beyond. So all of you have experienced. I don't believe there's a being a human being on the planet that hasn't at least experienced a glimpse. Maybe there are some who haven't experienced, but I, I, I think at least, let me, let me rephrase that, every... Human being on the the planet that is involved in some sort of sincere spiritual investigation is on the path because they have tasted at least a glimmer of samadhi in one moment. The more likely you are to experience these glimmers of samadhi is all about how well constructed the architecture of your practice is. So the more well-constructed the architecture is, the more likely it is that those experiences of samadhi will arrive. But we can't chase them. You know, we have to wait. There's a waiting, a game to it all. And there are many different spiritual paths that lead you towards that state of connection with what is. So yeah, I've experienced many states of samadhi in the meditation practice, also in the asana practice, and also here and there in life. You know, sometimes... Uh, after practice, you know, after you do a very intensive asana practice, I have encouraged each all of you to remain a little quiet after the asana practice, right? So some of my some some of the the most um, you kind know, of transformative memories that I have after my asana practice have been yes, asana practice some intensity here, some transcendence there, some really ex- like you know very um, hard to describe experiences of you know, transcendence. But something that would repeat over and over again is if I can finish practice, not say anything to anyone, maybe just thank you to my teacher, not say anything, what I have experienced, what, has, what I have done, but nothing like this, just total silence. Then very often in India, I'm practicing before the dawn. So then I've finished practice numerous times and the sun has not risen, <laughs> which on one level is horrible. Like, let's just make that absolutely true. To finish your practice and the sun has not yet risen, this indicates at what time you have woken up and completed the practice. So if you kind of reverse engineer that, this means I woke up at around 2 a.m. and finished the practice at around 5.45, right? This just has its own horribleness. So we can get over that. And then, and then to be present for that, that hour of sunrise after practice, if I have not talked to anyone Those moments are incredible. If I've talked to someone, oh, it has disturbed the mind so easily. Someone is saying this, saying that, and it can bring you out of whatever inner state you're in. So this is one of the reasons I really recommended after practice, if you can hold on a little bit, even just for five minutes, you know, even for 10 minutes, go out, even step outside for a moment, breathe the air, look around, look up at the sky, and then, and then continue. Just take a little moment to steep in it. But some of those moments have, after practice have been really, really incredible. In meditation, you can expect, if you sit a Vipassana course, to have many experiences of this state of absorption that is referred to as samadhi. But you have to work for it. It's 10 days. And usually the first three to five days are borderline mental health crisis. <laughs> You beg to get out. Please let me out. So they take your car keys and they take your wallet and your phone, it's like a meditation jail. Please, can I, can I go now? I don't want to be here anymore. Please let me out. I want to call my family. They'll rescue me. I need to make a rescue. Please let me out. And they don't let you out. You agreed to stay for the 10 days. I know, but I didn't know it would be like this. Let me out. Please let me out. And then on the sixth day, I never want to leave. <laughs> this place is heaven. The first day, I hate the food. This is terrible. This is horrible. I hate this bed. It's the worst bed I've ever slept in. This room is horrible. Look at these roommates. So noisy. This one farting all night. This one doing who knows what. Let me out. Uh, Give me at least some new roommates. No new other rooms. And then you hate them all. You hate the food. You hate the teacher. You hate the facility. Everything you hate. And the fifth day, suddenly, these people are so nice. Look at them. Like little angels when they sleep. Wow. So wonderful. And then, they try to, then they kick you out. No, I don't want to leave. Let me stay. I'll help clean the facility. Let me clean up a little bit. What can I clean to help make it a nice place for the next group? You know, and then finally get out. We have to go home. And you go home, you know, follow the mind. But each, but the whole premise of the path of yoga and meditation is built on this, that every human being that would seek the practice has within them the foundation and the tools that can lead to liberation. That is the idea that nothing outside of yourself is needed, but there are tools and techniques that you can learn to help polish the diamond that's within. And it's this idea of, of, uh, uh, that, that every, every human being is worthy, you could say, and that all it takes is the practice. Those who are practice, you practice, you practice. So you can attain also. Make sense? Good. We are now a little over time. So even though we have not done, um, you know, the we're gonna do the traditional ashtanga closing prayer. There are some other mantras we could do from the Dipasana tradition, but we know these ones. So
1: let's stick to these ones. Similar intentions. Ooh. Swasthiprajabhyaha Swasthiprajabhyaha
0: Paripalayanta
1: Paripala
0: Nyayena paripalayanta Nyayena
1: madgena
0: Mahim Mahishaha mahi mahi Go shubam astu nityam shubam astu nityam lokah samastah lokah samastah sukino bhavantu sukino
1: bhavantu o Shanti,
0: Shanti, Shanti Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime.